Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the Film Alchemist podcast this month, brought to you by our friends, Manscaped. Hopefully you are not a sociopath, so you know how to take care of your huevos. I'm not sure if that's a thing that sociopaths don't know how to do, but I'm just assuming it, and it's in theme with our movie this this week. If you feel like running around the streets, chopping up innocent civilians, maybe turn that energy downward yeah. and murder the most unwanted little guest on our body, pubic hair. This isn't the 70s. <laughs> yeah, come on. If the pubes invade our house, uh, Dexter them. That's what I say. Agreed. Yeah, there's all kinds of great stuff Manscaped has uh, for uh, those kinds of uh, situations. For instance, uh, the Lawnmower 3.0, which, of course, Griffey and I both have used to, I don't know, I think my wife seems to think it's cool, so that's great. Um, oh, yeah. The I we- have to fight my wife off like some kind of fairy tale murdering monster. <laughs> I'm going to have to get a stick to keep her away every time I she hears the buzzing sound. She comes a-running. I got to set traps and shit. <laughs> Uh, the weed whacker, what? the nose tri- the nose hair trimmers, those are pretty good. Uh, I actually like their other products, just the smaller stuff. Like the, again, I used the ball toner. I have no idea what it did, but my, you know, the huevos are looking like they belong on the beach, so that's great. And then uh, the <laughs> ball deodorant, which you need to use, guys. Like, there's no reason not to deodorize that area of your of your of your body every guy comes to that point in their life when they start using uh taint and ball deodorant and they immediately just think to themselves why did it take me this long just do it It happens to all of us it's fine also if you're being hunted by a serial killer you don't want a horrendous odor giving away your hiding spot come come on on. guys do better do the right for yourself do better for society do better for your loved ones man um this year, guys, it's been important to take care of yourself. Yes. The only way you can take care of others is by taking care and loving yourself, man. Agreed. A, a, gift, is, a gift is never late. That's Go right. to manscaped.com. Pick out something for whoever in your life might need something like this. The, mm-hmm. By the way, a key, just a little quick note, those underwear. You're going to want at least a couple of pairs of those for you or a friend of yours. They will thank you. Underwear good enough to murder someone for. That's how good those are. That's how good those are. Uh, If you decide to buy those things, uh, use our code FILM, F-I-L-M. You'll get 20% off and free shipping on your first order. Mm -hmm. And that also lets them know that we sent you, which helps us out a lot. It's a present to yourself, a present to your loved ones, and a present to your friends at the Film Alchemist. So, again, use code FILM at checkout for 20% off and free shipping. Code FILM, F-I-L-M. It's worth it, guys. Trust us. On with the show! Welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love. Break them apart. To find out what gives them their magic, forest murder magic. All right, guys, before we get back to stuffing stockings, um, a little business. If you're here with us, we hope you're having a great time. If that's the case, please help us out. 
a small uh, December gift for your friends at the Film Alchemist. Take a second. Leave us a rating and review. It means the world to us. It's it's very easy. A quick five-star, quick sentence. It helps shows out like us, again, especially on Apple Podcast app. Uh, thank you for those of you who have been doing it. Every time we get one, it makes us stoked. We appreciate it. Uh, make sure you go to YouTube. You can subscribe to our channel, Film Alchemist. You can see video versions of these podcasts and also some fun new stuff we're working for uh, in the new year. Make sure to subscribe over there. You can find us on all the social media you're on. Uh, great way to get a hold of us. We love doing the socials with you young people doing stories and a quote tweet. <laughs> all that cool stuff that keeps us hip and young. Uh, get a hold of us there. You can also email the show, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. Uh, with ideas for movies you'd like to see covered, new, old, double features, themes for a month. Uh, great guest hosts. We're always looking uh, to expand our guest host repertoire. So uh, get at us on that, guys. Also, I hope you all listen to our ad. Use code FILM at checkout at manscaped.com for all your uh, self-care needs. Because as we've learned from this uh, newest stocking stuffer, you better take care of yourself, or the consequences can be literally death. Truth. <laughs> All right. So we are discussing the film. I am not a serial killer. Uh, let me see. Who sent this Who to us? Sent this, this was one? sent to us uh, on Twitter, uh, listener of the show, at BLK Photo Die, Black Photo Die, I'm guessing, at Black Photo Die. On Twitter, uh, listener for a while. We've interacted. Always charming. Uh, so we decided I am not a serial killer from at Black Photo Die on Twitter was the choice today. Um, this is an indie horror film. Uh, a great late stage Christopher Lloyd performance. Mm -hmm. um, it really goes in some pretty shocking and unexpected ways. Alex, hit me up. With your initial thoughts on I Am Not a Serial Killer. This was... I was not expecting to like this as much as I did. I always... Yeah, right? <laughs> like, I, it's a weird thing to say because in general, like whenever I watch movies for the first time, I don't like go out of my way to watch movies I think are going to suck. But... Yeah. So like I, I... And again, this is the thing that I like about Stalking Stuff for Month is I always end up watching movies that I end up loving. And this is no exception, honestly. Uh, I Am Not a Serial Killer was really good. Uh, it does take some very bizarre left turns, and there are some things that I was kind of like, eh, about. But overall, <laughs> the way it's shot, the way it's directed, the way it's acted, and just the overall story, I really, really enjoy. I think it's really cool. And I don't think you could make this kind of movie uh, with a bigger budget. I think it's a small indie. I think the budget's like man maybe like a million and a half and i think that's like just the right amount of i know this is a weird thing to say because like i i work in tv and film and like i work with budgets a lot i can say this this movie has just the right amount of money because there's so much love on the screen and we talk about that a lot too i feel it i feel it coming through i feel it oozing like black oily pus coming out <laughs> it's so good but yeah i really liked it yeah. that was great yeah, I I think what I, I I knew right off the bat, like the very first image, right? Small town, uh body, 
a little jostling of the stretcher, right? You know, this is not like a smooth operation. This is something out of the normal. Gut splatter, right? Boy stops to take it in, the horrifying image. And a cop just, what's your prognosis? Well, he's dead for sure. Boom. Music, yeah. writing. So it lets you know right away the kind of movie we're doing. And what I think, this movie's really fascinating to me too because I think we've been in this serial killer phase for a while now, right? Uh, the the kind of deconstruction and humanization of serial killers, right? Where <laughs> it's it's so fun. It's it's weird. It's like how Bill Burr has that joke about the movie Monster, and he's like, "That's a whole movie about how she serial kills guys, and it's still our fucking fault." <laughs> he's like, what? "You know," and it, it, it but it's become the serial killer move, where every movie tries to make the serial killer a relatable human character. Right. And tries to put some of this, oh, maybe some people deserve to get killed. Like it's the Dexter move, right? Like yeah. a lot of a lot of movies exist in this space. I would say obviously beside the enormous twist at the end. Spoilers, by the way. I, I don't know. Every show we do is spoilers, but just in case. The enormous supernatural twist at the end separates it a hair, right? Right. But I think weirdly enough, even with the supernatural element, what this one does really well is I think just the setting and the intimacy of this world, it feels really lived in, right? Yeah. This The snow-covered small town, it like people feel cold. Just watching them deal with cold, it feels like they've been there for a long time, you know? Yeah. It's, it's just, it's very intimate. And in a way, even though they're not doing something we haven't seen 50 times at this point, it feels organic enough. That you really you feel like you're seeing something a little more special, if that makes sense. No, I agree. Um, I think that the thing that's most challenging about making like in the mind of a serial killer movies, particularly and stories just in general, is you basically taking a character because earlier in the movie, like early in the movie, um, John, who's the main character played by Max Records. Um, get, is diagnosed as a sociopath, meaning that he has he lacks empathy for others. Mm-hmm. So, I think that's always been the challenge in general of like movies that follow serial killers, unless you're just like doing like Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's a different kind of movie altogether. I mean, that's not a deconstruction. That no. that's a fucking shark attack movie. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's different altogether. But like if you're yeah. doing this deconstruction like you're trying to understand and go in the brain, go in the mind of this person, it's really difficult to construct a story and like empathize with a character who has no empathy. And I think that's the thing that's most fascinating to me about this movie is I honestly am rooting for John throughout the movie not to kill anyone. Even there are plenty of people who totally deserve it at a at a, at a moment's notice. I really enjoy, like, throughout the movie, there's one scene, and we'll get to it a little bit later down the road. There's one scene in particular that I think is really awesome and demonstrates the sort of power that not only Max Records as an actor has over, like, the command he has over the role, but just in general, why you spend the movie caring about this person and, like, caring that he does not stray from his rules because the idea is, like, John has these very strict rules to not engage in sociopathic behavior that would like cause him to kill people. So he has very strict, very strict rules, very specific things he does to prevent, like for instance, 
when he feels the urge to kill someone, he smiles at them and says something nice to them rather than murdering. Yeah. Which is again, I, it's a great, it's a great tick throughout the movie and it's a really fun visual cue and a very, cause like Max records has a really great, like serial killer smile. I know that sounds weird, (laughs) but it is just like this really weird, like there's something not there. Like that's, I think the crazy thing is like out of place among humans. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think, this is what this is kind of the core I think kind of funny thing about the movie to me, right? It tells you right in the title, I am not a serial killer. And the movie keeps telling me that John could be a serial killer. And they do a couple like I love the gag like you're saying, right? When he's getting bullied and he's dragging the fork under the table and uh-huh. he's trying to be polite. And as that keeps happening, now knowing, "Oh my god, he ticks off the boxes for a serial killer." Uh, oh my god he works at a a funeral home oh god they're giving you creep sign after creeps like one of the first times we see him right is when they bring in that body and uh he's looking at himself there's no mirror but there's a reflective surface right you know i'm obsessed with reflections in movies so him being reflected off of the tin paper towel box right and it's cloudy right oh he likes it he's rubbing the body a little weirdly um i would argue right so they do a lot of that in the start of the movie telling us this kid could become a serial killer. He really likes serial killers. He wrote a paper on BTK. Well, guess what, man? We all like serial killers. It's yeah. fucking fascinating. It's I've weird. read all that shit. I watch all that stuff. I wrote a report on a serial killer. I think what the movie tells us in the title is the most true. At no point in that film do I actually feel like John could break and kill someone. There is no point in the film where he feels like he's truly a threat to become a serial killer the way the other killer is, right? The uh, And I guess so that, that juxtaposition of he never feels truly psychopathic enough to me, right? No. You get the sense that people are worried and he's trying to work on it. But this is the other thing about the movie that I – this is, if I had a beef with the movie, this is it, right? I don't love the portrayal of this, right, that – being the kind of person that can become a Dennis Rader, a Ted Bundy, a Jeffrey Dahmer, that there was some alternative path they could have taken once they hit that point of, you know, oh, they know what they are. They could have just had, you know, a couple Knights Creeds right. to be better. That's just not something that I accept. Well, I think I- there is a moment when the person breaks and they form their killer instinct and it's over, right? This movie seems to be saying one is a a magical supernatural force of nature, right? A pure predator. That's one version of this serial killer, right? And it places a parallel between what supposedly is inside of John and, you know, what he's trying to stop. Right. Um, And then what John is, which is a guy who just is quirky. He has some problems. You know, maybe he's fascinated by the darkness. I don't ever see him as a true threat to become a serial killer in this film once. Well, and I think there's a reason for that, too. Like, being a sociopath and being a serial killer are two very different things. Like, there's plenty of sociopaths in the world who sure, are CEOs who are yeah. CEOs of major companies, and that's why they're CEOs of major companies, because they feel no Excellent empathy point. for people. They literally treat them right. as pawns. So I think that's, like, the key component here, as long as you understand that you're right. Like the title of the movie and the title of the book, as it were, are the key components of the, is a key component of this movie. I am not a serial killer. 
that is established in the title of the movie at the very beginning of the movie. So John is saying, I am not a serial killer. Got it. Right. John's maybe, not a serial maybe killer. Maybe they want us to believe that that's him convincing himself. That's sure. not how the movie plays to me. Right. And I think that's a good thing, though, because then it actually allows us to empathize with him in a way that normally we wouldn't be able to. Like, for instance, Dexter has its own problems, but Dexter's key <laughs> component of a character is that, like, I've, I never feel bad for Dexter. That's like a big thing about like the story itself is I've like when I watched it, I never felt bad for him. Like I'm like, he'll figure it out. He's fine. Like he clearly doesn't actually care for anyone. He literally puts on a facade for everyone in his life except for the people he murders. So even when he has a family, but that's the, this is the different thing about this movie. And I don't know if you'll agree. I think John in this movie has, a mountain of empathy for other characters. I think he has a I mountain of empathy him... for certain characters. But okay, so even when he's at the barber shop, right? Mm -hmm. Him tripping the alarm to try to summon help for that old man, or maybe just to get this guy caught, whatever that is. The the bait the emotional basis for that decision is this is bad and needs to be stopped. The base of that is empathy, right? Right. I think he truly does care for the Crowleys at the start of the movie, right? Yeah. He's over there helping him. He's taking pictures. Like, I think he does care. I think he cares about his friend a little. I think he cares about his mom and his aunt and his sister to some extent. Right. I think we see over and over again that John, even if it's – it's because this is – they do this one one motif a couple times in the film, which I adore, which is they run the – kind of hyper-realistic uh, emotions that we experience as teenagers through the lens of, oh, shit, is that actually predatory, right? Like when he's at Mr. Crowley's house and he's looking at the girl through the window. Right. And then later that night, he's in the backyard watching through their window. Um, All of us had that girl in the neighborhood or next door on the bus that you would watch and focus on. Your body, it's like a genetic drive. You couldn't stop, right? Or not whoever it is right the the focus of your amour right your body's just like something's happening i gotta and i love the notion of things that are very normal and relatable as teenagers but through this lens of oh what if this is a predator doing this you know right. so there's this subtextual this could be a really fucking scary scene even though it feels very familiar to us watching right and again, I think that in a weird way, because really only the girl who's infatuated with him, that's the person he seems the coldest to. But almost everyone else he seems pretty empathetic with. Yeah, I mean, again, I like that. Again, the title is very misleading. I think he's trying to convince himself that he's not, even though because the term serial killer, because he does all this research. Like, again, like you said, at the very beginning of the movie, it's turned into paper on the btk killer he has all these little factoids tucked away he notes that ted bundy was the person they literally invented the term serial killer for mm -hmm. to me john's not a serial killer because he's trying to convince himself he's not one like that to me is a key component of a serial killer is like serial killers aren't necessarily like oh i am a serial killer that's what i do like again dexter whatever that's its own thing <laughs> 
but it's not like in real life people are sitting around going all right i'm a serial killer and this is my this is what i do this is my profession like serial right. killers are labeled sure. so for john to sit there and label himself not one is him slowly trying to convince himself that in fact he might be one like being a sociopath means i could be that person so i think you're yes. right like I it's it's a it's a misleading title on purpose because you're not supposed to empathize with someone who claims to be a sociopath claims to be someone who doesn't care for others. But in reality, yeah, John cares a great deal for literally everyone in this movie. I mean, if he really didn't care, because this is like the big thing, like the big like end of act one reveal is uh, Crowley and the drifter out on the ice patch. So when that happens, yeah, which again is way, one of those things. The, the least shocking reveal of all time is that Christopher Lloyd is not just going to be the weird grandpa across the street. Yeah. When his yeah. name is Mr. Crowley. <laughs> yeah. By the way, surprise, that, surprise. On the the old famous guy in the movie named Mr. Crowley is in fact not as he seems. What? Um, that guy's not on the level. Well, fucking smack my ass and call me surprised. Like, are you? It's a, but this okay. So you actually hit on something I think is kind of interesting. This goes back to the playing normal, relatable high school moments is predatory. I think there's a part of this where he's just a little off, right? And maybe it reminds me of like the kids in high school that really wanted to be goths. Yeah, and it's like, oh, they're really into like vampire shit and makeup. There's a girl in my high school who was uh, who claimed to be a Wick, who claimed to be Wiccan. I'm like, cool, do your thing. Yeah, I don't care. Yeah, you do your thing. It's like you're not a witch or a vampire. I mean, you can be a witch. You're, you yeah, can't be fine. a vampire though. Sam. You can't be a vampire. But not people convince themselves. So this struck me as a kid who had darker interests than people are prepared for. Although this movie's funny now, come even a couple years later, because I feel like that's all anyone watches on Netflix now is just murder shows. Yeah. But th so this felt like to me, a family that was in disarray because of a horrible father, right? And the damage he did some bit of the school doesn't really seem to trust him and thinks he's out of the normal. And any one of us who has lived in a small town, especially in the Midwest, we all know that, feeling right where people treat you like you're some kind of fucking pod person right if you're not exactly locked in with everyone else and I, there is a bit of it where it feels like his mom and his psychiatrist and all these people decided based on reading a wiki oh this kid's going to be a serial killer and he's like dude i'm fine yeah right like i like the scenes where he's in his room kind of talking himself through his things right mm -hmm. uh so when i watched possessor right with uh josh lobo right yep that's something that she had to do because she's so dissociated from being an actual human his felt different than that right it actually felt earnest well, like because his parents and his therapist have put him through this you could start murdering any day i think he's just a little shy we're all pretty fucking yeah. unsure of ourselves well, at that age, i like right? that i think because he's a teenager that is the thing that I like the most about is because he's a teenager, he's still susceptible to adults' opinions of him. Mm -hmm. And not only that, he is susceptible to the label of something. And something like yeah. being labeled a sociopath brings with it its own sort of ego, I guess. I would. That's the way I'd put it. Yes, and we see that at that Halloween dance scene spectacularly, right? Yes. He, he's almost proud of the fact that he's gotten this label. Because it gives him something to stand up against this torment from the bully. 
right? And then as we watch the bully cower in fear, realizing like, oh, fuck, could this be true? That scene in a microcosm uh, way is what is really fun about this movie when it's at its best, is that here's a kid who does not seem like he's actually a threat or a serial killer. They're trying to convince us that he could be, and he's just kind of like trying to fucking find his way through this world, man. Right. And I think that shit is really fun and relatable. Um, All right, we, we should address this uh, while we're here. Walk me through your take on the, the supernatural um, addition to this film. <laughs> is it addition or is it subtraction? I guess that's the debate. I mean, that is, a, that is an interesting question. <laughs> it comes sort of out of nowhere. It does sort of take away a lot of the mystique of because for me, when you name a story, I am not a serial killer, you expect it to be about serial killing and really what it ends up well, being. They even is, market another killers in town and he must use his serial killer skill. They make it like it's this battle of serial killers. And that's not at all. The, movie. the marketing for it is literally like a battle of serial killers. And it ends up being it's hard to say, like, to be honest with you. It takes away from it, a lot of it for me. Like, there's a little bit of yeah, it that I'm like. Sadly, I felt that way too. This does I mean, not this work is, for me. Like, because and also like, look, it's I'm, visually fun though. Like, I do kind of dig it on that level. Look, on a, from a visual perspective, it's great, and because because he is who he is, he's John, who already is who f feels impressed upon. So John at the start of the movie already feels like an unreliable narrator. So we're wondering if he actually saw what he saw when Crowley literally like. I don't know, tree branches a guy with his arm and then takes okay. his lungs. So here's here's like a problem I have right off the bat. It took me probably 30 minutes after that scene to fully be like, oh, this is something supernatural. Right. And it was when he uh, is attacking the his best friend's dad, right? Now he's attacking him. And on the phone call, he says, does it hurt? Like, what did you take from him? You start to see like he took the barber's uh, dancing knee, right? Yeah. <laughs> and this, so then you're like, oh, okay, I guess this is real. Because I'm with you. I kept thinking this was, because there was a part of me, right, as they first start showing the the man in blue. I was like, oh, so what they're playing at in this movie is that he could actually be doing the killings and dissociating himself from it and doesn't realize it's him. Okay, that's the movie you think it is. Then you're like, but that Christopher Lloyd thing's a pretty fucking big red flag. Yeah. And when Christopher Lloyd, I was like, did Christopher Lloyd just turn around and do a MacGruber on this guy and fucking like pull a Dalton throat rip? Like, what the right, fuck yeah. is happening? And then he's like ripping into him and he's howling kind of. I was like, OK, he's just an old serial killer who has like a fucking wolf kink. Cool. I'm down with that. Right. And I thought that was actually more poignant than what they settled on, because the idea that this man is driven by his animal beast nature to kill. And is for some reason collecting organs. I thought they were going to go with like a, a May setup, right? He's collecting a body. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Fine. The fact that a man could do these horrible things as they're described to us, and we see some of the carnage in the morgue, uh, right. could also then be like a decent neighbor and a, you know, loving good husband. I think that's one of those kind of fun areas to explore is the monster. And again, they even mentioned Dennis Rader in the movie. He was like a deacon at his church and shit. Like he had a family. They're like, oh, yeah. who our dad, like our fucking loser Reebok wearing dad. That I thought was a more, cause then it's 
then then you get into the the theory of the movie where could John turn, right? Could John turn? Because what we see is a, a normal, well-functioning man right. being evil, right? By the end of the movie, you're like, John can't become whatever the fuck that is. Right. Well, I think that's the thing that bothered me the most is that once the supernatural thing starts happening, do you realize that everything John has said up to that point about like harboring homicidal tendencies and being a sociopath could all be total bullshit. It could all be like part of <laughs> his like therapist therapy. Like it, it doesn't make, it doesn't make for a more interesting movie. Once supernatural things start happening because you've literally pulled the rug out from under this character who thinks he might be like, now he's seeing supernatural things happening and having actual feelings about it. Cause you're right. The barbershop scene's yeah. a key moment because the barbershop scene literally reveals that of course, John cares about people. John cares yeah. enough about someone to literally trip the alarm to prevent someone who from getting his, I don't know, fucking face blown off, even though it happens anyways. But like, it's just one of those things where it's a weird choice in a story like this because of the way the movie is set up to begin with. Once you hit the, I mean, I guess it happens what around like 25 minutes, maybe once you hit the 25 minute mark of Crowley, you know, taking that guy's lungs, you're like, this is a different movie than it was. I didn't like even know what the fuck he was ago. doing. Like I, I had no idea. And then they kept showing the news footage of there's oil at the scene and Here's young Christopher Lloyd. And I was like, wait, people don't recognize the fucking old man from their town. I didn't realize that was a, a death. So right. it was just one of those. It was it was laid out in a fairly sloppy way, manner. They, they, it just kind of kept distracting me when they kept showing him on the news. Right. And I was like, why are they talking about oil? What? But once you get past that hurdle, right? Uh, like one of the scenes where it really works for me, right? Is this thing at the end. Where then it becomes kind of this almost Del Toro fairy tale movie. Very where much. I like it has him a real Pan, Pan's Labyrinth vibe going for it. Yeah. And I like him hiding in the closet as Christopher Lloyd with like branches coming out of his back, all in shadow, rushes up the stairs, right? This his inner monster released, right? So then you start looking at it as this visual fairy tale, and that kind of works. I just think it's then to me it becomes it's it's the weird and it could just be the absolute power of Christopher Lloyd, right? The scene when he he gets the note and he's not coming out anymore, and we come in, he's just like, uh, you know, talking about the tiger and the lamb, right? Right. Well, in that to time... me, that's one of those things you're like, that is, put your fucking money on the table. That's where you draw the line yeah. between some people are just way better actors than others. I don't know if this is one of those things, but like anytime, I really do like have a thing for actors who recite tiger the tiger like that poem particularly yeah. so i feel like i see it in a lot of tv and movies and it's a really popular one because it is just like kind of eerie like tiger tired or burning bright it's a really eerie thing to say but i agree man like fucking yeah christopher lloyd is just like that moment I mean, right there that scene when he goes terrifying. all the way dark yeah and he's just staring into the fire and not even the tiger but when he gets to the lamb right the lamb yeah and i think he God, what's the fucking line in that? I'll never remember. It's, uh, did he who created the lamb create thee? Right? Where it's it's this concept of how could someone make lambs simply to be slaughtered by these tigers, right? Right, right. If God made us the lambs, that means he created tigers simply for the purpose of slaughtering us and ripping our guts out and eating us as we slowly watch them and die. 
right? And it's it's one of the, that's why people recite it because that's a profound thought, right? Right? Is you know, if a god made us, why did he make some of us pray? Right. And especially for humans, it's extra insane. Like we watch it on nature, like law of the jungle makes sense, and you're like, not really. Like if you were starting a town, your first <laughs> decree would not be. Law of the jungle, if you eat your neighbor, you get his lawnmower. What? <laughs> like, that right. doesn't make sense. And it's horrifying. And to watch a man we know has callously just murdered two cops, potentially an old guy who wants to Viagra his wife, and a fucking drifter who seems like a pretty nice, helpful ice fishing buddy. We know this guy's an actual monster. And to listen to a monster say that he has been struck by and takes pause when he thinks about poetry. Right. And he's dealing with the the his body becoming decrepit with old age. I think I just I just I'll never be convinced with this movie that not just taking Christopher Lloyd's character, Mr. Crowley, as this is an old man who gets his kicks here, but what he loves even more than being a serial killer or just committing those murders is this woman. He truly loves her. And the scene that I was struck by, right, that I really love, because this is one. This gets back to that tug and pull of does he have empathy or not with John? When John is helping him up to the bathroom to pee and do the bath, mm-hmm. that moment of this this fucking horrible murderer, just like I can't leave her alone. He can't even get in a bathtub, right? The the paradoxes that exist within that couple of minutes are the stuff that great cinema is made of. It's just. Your mind is exploding with questions and thoughts, and it's it's making you feel. It's making you think. That's when it's at its best. Yeah. Not so much when the uh, fucking eight-foot-tall Dobby shows up at the end. You know. Yeah, I mean? definitely. Oh, by the way, speaking of that scene, did you notice who John's mother is? No. Our wayward Smith from A Knight's Tale, the female Smith. The armorer? The armorer is John's mother in this movie. Oh, we had fuck. talked about that... how we had never seen her in another fucking movie, and this is the first time I've seen her in anything since then. That sucks. I guess she never got that Nike deal in the medieval <laughs> times, and now her family's stuck doing this. Her great descendants are like, ah, oh, my bitch, great, 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 great grandmother started putting check marks on all the armor. We got stiffed. Now we do frozen corpses. Sorry. That's our family. <laughs> Small factoid. Had to point that out real quick. But that's awesome because I think in that show we're even like, did that lady ever do another? Episode? Yeah, no, I, exactly. I was, I, I was watching it and I'm like, oh, hey, she did do another thing. And then I looked at it and like she's done a lot of shit. And I'm just like a horrible person to view things, apparently. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, back to the awesome. actual point. That scene. Yeah. I agree. Like that is. The, like the moments in the house with, between Crowley and John are yeah like the best stuff in the movie in my opinion, and then yeah it's counterbalanced by even up to that point like I love that shit when they're in the uh, when they're at the um his kid his friend's dad's funeral and they're yeah. in the back back talking oh, in the pews oh awesome. my god so good fucking great counteracted by yeah like a giant like Pumpkinhead Jr. crawling out of Christopher Lloyd's neck. And again, don't get me wrong, because that shit was awesomely cool. fun to watch. Very cool and to the watch. the melting Christopher Lloyd, the oil. It's This is the thing, though, is it felt like one of those, oh, we can cleanse the evil, and he's by proxy flushing his own evil out. Right. But I think what saves that moment for me, because I, I was not digging that, even though it was cool as fuck to watch. Mm-hmm. 
when the creature comes out and you're like, here we go. Classic. He's like getting ready with his little stick to like fend himself. Yeah. And when the monster stands up, though, and just says, uh, take care of take K, care for, K me. for me. And in the oil, there's the wedding ring, right? Mm-hmm. That this beast, this monster who was the tiger amongst the lambs dealt with all this pain and misery of his body rotting, tried his best to make it work as a human because he so loved this this creature. The tiger that so fell in love with the lamb, he eventually got slaughtered himself. That really works for me, you know? Like, yes. the fa- if he had attacked and lunged, like, Rah! that movie loses, like, two stars to me. You know what I mean? <laughs> the fact that that monster in that moment isn't going to fight anymore. Yeah. And he's just sad because... He knows he won't get to love that woman anymore. No, that, that, that works. That fucking works. That, that works. I think, weirdly enough, though, this this creates one of the problems, which is the second half of the movie, Crowley's got all the meat. Yeah. Like, John kind of just becomes the guy who's, like, shuffling us from scene to scene. But all of the good stuff is Crowley's, I feel like. Yeah, I mean... I think that's the kind of I mean I'm I'm fine with that. Like if I'm fine with it becoming this sort of like two-hander but one on each side of the movie essentially. Like I again, I like watching Christopher yeah. Lloyd so it works well, fine. Well, I couldn't help myself from wondering though. And I know we try not to rewrite the movies, right? We try to just talk about what the movie presents us. Mm-hmm. This one would be impossible for me to not say. Does this movie not work a little better if it's just Christopher Lloyd and his wife? And maybe she's had enough of him having to take after all these people to keep this fucking charade going, right? He collapses okay. at dancing. He's got to kill. And then all of a sudden, there's the nice family across the street, and they become the inevitable target of his wrath, and that's where the the rubber meets the road, right. man. I'm with you. I'm with you on this. So – Basically, what you do is you restructure the movie solely from Crowley's perspective, and John becomes a side character introduced much later in the movie. Like, actually, you introduce him at the same point where John sees him kill the drifter, Mm -hmm. but instead of watching from John's perspective, what you see is Crowley observing John seeing him kill the drifter. It is Fright Night. That makes sense. That would work for me. It is Fright Night by Lens of the Vampire, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and again, it's not that I think Max Reload did a bad job as John. I think he's really good. No, he's great. The problem is it's, it's just one of those movies where by the time we reveal that Crowley's a supernatural uh romantically entangled beast yeah there's just nothing left for me to care about with the high school poser no i don't disagree it, it is the hardest part and, and again i feel like this is coming off as that i'm more being more critical of the movie than i felt watching it i think it is by twist and turn an absolutely captivating fun movie it is one of those you really don't know where it's going which is pretty rare the performances are stunning i think the issue i have overall right is maybe you can kind of unify this is it feels like it's a movie that wants to examine the nature of being a serial killer and that's kind of the hook and the marketing hints at that that's not what this is like even crowley's not a serial killer this isn't some kind of ritual power whatever this is a man who's just i will eat you if it means i get to dance with my wife one more time well it's 
it's not really about serial killers at all. No, I mean, I feel like what it's odd for a movie called I Am Not a Serial Killer, but I don't know if this is the best way to put it, but to me, the movie honestly just feels like the pursuit of happiness almost. Like, literally, it's yeah. about people just trying to stay afloat. I mean, I think that that's... Yeah. That, to me, is what Crowley's mission is. Is Literally, Crowley, Crowley's mission is to stay afloat, to just be with this woman. And, like, John's mission is to stay afloat to not become what he thinks he's going to become, even though that's not, we all know that's not what's going to happen. Right. Well, I think with John, what we see is in a weird way, they play the one scene where we really talk about John's dad with the empty MP3 player. Mm -hmm. In a way, he's just Crowley, right? He's trying to take a little bit of his son to make himself feel better. Yeah. And you see him just run out of the house like he's taken a part of his heart. Right. Mm -hmm. And his dad's somewhere like, man, I'm a good dad, actually. It's like, well, no, you're fucking not. Right. So in a way, his dad is shown to do the same thing, just not in a physical fucking X-Files way. Right. And. I. I just don't know how to square all of these things. Right. Is. it? That's the thing is it's such a fucking well-made movie. Mm -hmm. It's so fun. It's so inventive. The acting is great. And I think this is why we called the show Alchemy, right? Like Film Alchemist. Is there are so many movies where the elements just equal more or less than you think they could. Right. And I don't know that this movie is less than I want, but it just it is such an unusual mixture of choices. I don't disagree. I mean, I think that, again, you put it best. Like, it is the alchemy of this kind of movie is – it shouldn't work. Like, honestly, there are, there's just too many things conflicting against each other as far as like, like thematically. And then from just character driven perspectives, like it's very difficult to rectify in a lot of ways, but yeah. I've got to tell you, it just fucking works for me. And I think that it is, just works. it just works. Like that's all there is to it. Like, I think that's the thing that's amazing about this kind of movie is for all intent and purposes, it shouldn't, but it just works. And that is the yeah. that is the really wonderful thing about this. Like this movie has a ninety three percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and I can see why. Like it's like well, because yeah. yeah, Rotten Tomatoes is an aggregation, and if you're telling me nine out of ten people who watch this movie are really satisfied with it, yeah, I buy that yeah, in a heartbeat. Absolutely, I was really satisfied. I was Again, too. Just because I think narratively, it's it's a hodgepodge, and that thematically, it's constantly shifting and doesn't know what it wants to say. I feel like they wanted to do that line with the tiger and the lamb. Mm -hmm. And that's just not at all the movie no. <laughs> that we are watching. <laughs> you know, it's and again, that's that's kind of one it's, thing I like about movies like this is there's something that's happened, especially with like bigger budget Hollywood movies. Now, they're so fucking formulaic because when you're spending yeah. that much money, you can't take a gamble. You can't go in half cock. Yeah. I love that this movie is at the same time so good and so well done, but also it's really fucking messy and sloppy at times, right? Yeah. It it adds an almost teenage-like quality to it, right? It has that inner beast energy of Crowley, right? Like, it's not that weird when he changes, even though you're like, this doesn't make any fucking sense to me with what I thought I was watching. Right. But the movie, even when it's chaotic and weird and it doesn't feel like it's connecting, you just know that, you're enjoying yourself. I yeah, you trust I mean, these filmmakers. Honestly, to get I you just there. <laughs> I appreciate and really enjoy the swings this movie takes. Yeah. I'm not saying they get knocked out of the park, but 
I mean, there's no way I, again, I just don't see how you don't enjoy this movie and everything we've said that's critical of this film literally is moot because both of us walked away and go, that was really good. I enjoyed that. It kicks ass. Yeah, and I feel great. like that's the weird thing is as we're trying to have a discussion, I keep talking about little hiccups I had. I think what I wonder about this movie is that if it were this streamlined, more formulaic thing, does it drop by mass or grow in mass, right? Does this become this really popular mega hit or does it lose something if it's not so rough around the edges? I mean, personally, I think it absolutely loses something. But I that's fucking me. feel the same way if I'm being honest, you know? I it's just there's something like you said at the very top of the episode it feels lived in and that I think is all yeah. you can ask for movies like this is to not make us feel like we're showing up on the first day of filming yeah if it if like and that goes to the credit of like to me like shooting this in 16 millimeters is a great choice because it makes it that much more eerie like everything's very saturated very dark and very grainy like I like those kinds of things and you know, yeah, I'm a fucking film school asshole. So, of course, I like notice those kinds of things. But <laughs> that's the cool thing about this kind of movie is while I'm noticing that kind of stuff, it's still just it's impacting me in a way that overall makes me love that movie even more. Yeah. And it's it's weird. <laughs> Again, as we reveal that Christopher Lloyd is essentially the fucking T-1000 or whatever the fuck he is. <laughs> fairy tale T-1000. That's also a moment where they're doing really good storytelling, which is he's not unique. Of course, everyone wants to kill at night, so they're not seen. The very next thing we see is him killing in the broad daylight. Yeah. Out in the middle of a wide open expanse, right? Not hiding at all. Right. Except for he's out in nature, right? Mm -hmm. Just out in the middle where anyone can fucking see him, and someone does. And you're like, that's a fucking brilliant moment of storytelling right is that yeah sometimes the evil is just that obvious and we don't want to see it but then you're like okay so this guy has to eat people to replace joints seemingly every week or two yeah how the fuck has this guy lived here that long <laughs> like they just started counting dead bodies like you know a month ago like it, it's it's the weird give and take of this film where it's just okay maybe he got older and he can't travel anymore uh all right, I like it. So I'm going to – that's the thing. When a movie earns it, right, it can be messy. It can be sloppy because guess what? We all are, man. That's life. We all do weird shit, right? Just Google Florida man. We all do weird, unexplainable things. <laughs> and that's kind of what makes the world as interesting as it is. So I don't know. To wrap it up, I just like, – like here's a great thing. They added that extra scene with Kay at the end. Mm-hmm. Where she tells us the story, right, of the tiger tamed. Uh, he came with me to meet my family. You're like, what? The murder monster met her family? That's fucking okay. Right. And she came in and found him crying in the kitchen. And he just said, uh, what did he say? I never got it before now. And I will love you every day of the rest of your life. And you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm a sucker for that, man. And I think that's the, once you get past the, oh, this is a, real lived in like teenage drama thriller and you just look at it as this kind of fairy tale yeah it's fucking works. lovely it's it a is. lovely film agreed i loved it loved that's it. it for i am not a serial killer thank you at black photo die blk photo die d-y-e 
on Twitter uh, for the listen. We hope you've enjoyed your stocking stuffer episode. Again, I think what we're trying to tell you is that we loved this movie. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> that love is not lost in what we just discussed. Um, great movie. Find it. Buy it. You will thank us. If you have AMC Plus you. on Amazon, it's streaming. There you go. Uh, yeah, find this one. I actually can't believe it wasn't a bigger splash than um, it was. Me too. Weird. Okay, guys. Yeah, please take a second. Leave us a rating and review, especially on Apple Podcast app. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Film Alchemist. Email the show, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. Find us on all your social media. Buy yourself and your friends. Uh, stave off the serial killing neighbor by giving him a Manscaped kit. Use code FILM at checkout for 20% off and free shipping. Uh, help him trim off those, you know, branch tentacle devil things he has that just make him want to eat you. You know what I mean? Please. Or just be like, you can eat my pubes, but not the rest of me. You know, whatever. Just make it, make that deal with the devil <laughs> and use our deal at Manscaped. Let him know we sent you. Um, All right, guys. Tomorrow we're back with the Beast, a.k.a. the Beast of War. Uh, a really cool email we got. Uh, talking about why we should cover this movie. So super excited for that. So two more stocking stuffers to come. We hope you guys are enjoying yourselves uh, as we wrap out this awesome year of the film Alchemist. I'm your host, Josh Griffey. I'm Alex Dantino. 